Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome back to Talk Nation Radio this week, Matthew Ho, who is a member of the advisory boards of Expose Facts, Veterans for Peace, and World Beyond War. In 2009, he resigned his position with the U.S. State Department in Afghanistan in protest of the escalation of the war on Afghanistan. He previously had been in Iraq with a State Department team and with the U.S. Marines. He is a senior fellow with the Center for International Policy. Matt Ho, welcome back to Talk Nation Radio. Hi, David. Thank you for having me on again. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for everything you've been doing. I want to start with the topic of of Afghanistan, uh, specifically the various times the war has, quote-unquote, been ended by Obama and now by Trump, which, uh, how how do you rate the various endings of of the endless war on Afghanistan? Well, you know, I mean, you, you hate to give Trump credit for anything, but uh, this is the first uh, peace agreement, um, and it's certainly the first phase of hopefully a peace deal for Afghanistan that Afghanistan has seen since 1989. Um, the fighting in Afghanistan has been going on since uh, the late 70s. You know, by the time the, the, the Soviet Union invaded in December of 79, 100,000 Afghans had already been killed in fighting. And, of course, as as many people know, the United States was uh, taking part in that war before the Soviets even invaded. In the year prior to the Soviet invasion, the United States started funding Islamist militant groups in Afghanistan. Um, So the United States has been a part of this Afghan war for nearly its whole entirety. Uh, and it takes, the, in my opinion, the lion's share of the blame for not just the war starting the way it did, but for it continuing for these 40 years. You know, but, uh, you know, and the great, the great tragedy of it all is that none of it was necessary. You know, even, in, even in post-9-11, even in a month after 9-11, uh, you know, and this is very simple to find. You Google search it. The, the Guardian and, and, and many other uh, Western newspapers reported it at the time. In the fall of 2001, the Taliban were offering to hand over bin Laden. Um, you know, they were offering to give him to a third party. They were offering, you know, to negotiate. And President Bush said it was non-negotiable and that war was going to happen. I mean, so this these last two decades were never necessary. And then there have been so many other times throughout the last couple of decades that an agreement, uh, uh, you know, talks, uh, uh, some type of deal could have been struck by the Taliban. And we've seen this in the last couple of years because all it took for an agreement to occur in Afghanistan was for Trump to order Khalilzad, his, his uh, uh, Zalmay Khalilzad, his special uh, representative for Afghanistan, was to order Khalilzad to speak with the Taliban. And, you know, it took about a year and a half or so for this deal to be signed. It could have been signed last last September, but uh, President Trump had a temper tantrum and canceled it at the last moment. But, um, you know, that that's the tragedy of us all, David, is that none of it was necessary, and that the whole reason for these wars, particularly the last 20 years, um, and actually, for all those, all the forty years, because to get back into the history of well, to show how how nasty and how uh, 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 vain and how uh, 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 brutal 
all American administrations have been regarding Afghanistan. After the Soviets leave in 1989, there's a deal between the Soviets and the Mujahideen groups. And then just like now where there's a deal between the U.S. and the Taliban, and now there's supposed to be talks between the Taliban and the Afghan government, the same thing was supposed to occur in 1989. And the United States, the Soviet Union said, look, in order for us to go forward, we have to, you know, there's got to be ceasefires. We, everyone needs to stop arming the various groups here in this country. And the United States refused to. So until 1993, the United States continued to support these Islamist militant groups um, with weapons, with money, with uh, other types of, of material support, with intelligence, uh, you know, because the United States wanted complete victory over the communists in Afghanistan, even though the Soviet Union had left in 1989. Um, and so unlike the ending of Charlie Wilson's wars and the other mythologies about Afghanistan. The United States didn't abandon Afghanistan when the Soviet Union left. The United States continued to see Afghanistan uh, descend into uh, more, even more hellish suffering than it had before. And then over the last, you know, two decades, uh, negotiations with the Taliban could have occurred at any time. You know, people forget that the man who signed the peace deal uh, the other day in Doha, Qatar, was Zalmay Khalzan, the Taliban representative, Mullah Baradar. He was detained by the Pakistanis at the behest of the United States, for the most part, in February of 2010, because he was trying to negotiate a peace deal with the Afghan government at the time. So this, this you know, and there's all kinds of other examples, but this idea that the Taliban have not been willing to negotiate, have not wanted to see an end to the war has just been propaganda by the United States because the United States has wanted to win this war militarily. And, you know, to Trump's credit, he, he, you know, no one, I don't think anyone sees this other for, than the fact that Trump wants credit for ending the war in Afghanistan to fulfill a campaign pledge, etc. But he did order Khalizad to strike a deal with the Taliban, and they have, and now hopefully... Um, hopefully uh, deals are now made with the Afghan government, and some end to this war that has been going on for 40 years, the suffering of the Afghan people, hopefully may be occurring. And of course, as you note, Matt, uh, oh, the, uh, Brzezinski claimed credit for the fact that the United States was arming those fighters in Afghanistan even before the Soviets were fighting there and, and took credit for dragging the Soviets into their own Vietnam. Uh, it's, it's interesting to me, and I'm sure you've had the identical experience, that no matter how many rooms and shows you go in and say the, 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 the government was willing to negotiate and turn bin Laden over to a third country to be put on trial and so forth. Nobody knows that. Uh, and yet, yeah. trying to get people to know that seems so bizarre to me when there's no legal or ethical or practical reason or rationale for bombing and occupying a country because that country has someone uh, accused of a crime. It, it, you know, that could be <laughs> true or not. And, and the war is still, as you say, unnecessary. In fact, I I, I'm unaware of any war that has ever in the history of the world been <laughs> yeah. necessary, so I don't really distinguish this one in that way. Um, but but what drives me most crazy about this this peace agreement, and with you, I'm delighted with anything remotely resembling a peace agreement, uh, what bothers me about it is not so much what seems to bother the Washington Post or the New York Times, but it's it's this, this 14-month thing. We have a peace, yeah. we have a, we're ending the war right away in 14 months, which is longer than most wars have taken from 
from start to finish. And this is after, this is a campaign promise, then you wait four years, then you do it in 14 months. It's kind of a weird fulfillment of a campaign promise, isn't it? It is. Um, it, you know, it, 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 actually, it's interesting because the Soviet Union took 14 months. And I think a lot of people who understood Afghanistan, when the Soviet Union left, it, it, they, they took a 14-month period to, to pull out. And I think a lot of people have been saying over these last 20 years with the United States in Afghanistan is like, look, you can do the same thing the Soviet Union did. And I've had, I've met members of the Taliban, the interlocutors, uh, uh, you know, here in the United States, as well as interlocutors when I was in Afghanistan and, and, and in other places, um, who have set the templates here. Just do the same thing that the Soviet Union did in, you know, 1988, 1989. And so I think that may have been the reason why the 14 years, but absolutely, you know, and I, and I know you want to talk about, David, the, the presidential candidates, but, you know, uh, looking at the responses that the candidates gave uh, about Afghanistan to the New York Times, New York Times did a big foreign policy questionnaire that uh, the Times published, I guess about, uh, I guess the, the, the midway through February, uh, they published that, that questionnaire. Right. Um and, and, you know, and, 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 you know, a lot of those responses were maddening, but even the best answers, and I put best in quotes from, say, Bernie Sanders about Afghanistan was, you know, all troops would be out by the end of my first term, you know, and it's, you know, first term. <laughs> Another you know, four I mean, years. Yeah, exactly. Like, all you have to do is tell the troops to literally get on the plane, you know, crank up the propellers or whatever they do with airplanes, push the button, you know. And, and fly them out. I mean, that is literally, and you can already see one of the main reasons why, um, uh, you know, this idea that the Afghan government is somehow should be the party to uh, lead negotiations is the Afghan government has no interest in the United States living, leaving. It, 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 you know, the Afghan government is corrupt, it's predatory, it is the very definition of a kleptocracy. It is... Uh, you know, on all issues, uh, uh, torture, uh, narcotics, um, it is, it is uh, as bad as the Taliban uh, was, or even worse. Uh, its human rights record in the Afghan government is absolutely appalling. All, all, uh, uh, all elements of the Afghan government security forces and the military, they all utilize torture uh, excessively uh, and systematically. Uh, there is uh, all kinds of, of, of trafficking abuses. There's all kinds of narcotics. Uh, the biggest drug lords in Afghanistan belong in the Afghan government, the Afghan military. It's not the Taliban. I mean, you can go on and on. And, you know, the issue that gets brought up a lot about the Taliban, which is absolutely correct about their treatment of women, I mean, the, the treatment of women by the Afghan government may be better, but it's better by a degree. I mean, it is, it is you know, Afghan women are, are lighting themselves on fire uh, 80% of the suicides in Afghanistan um, are uh, uh, are committed by uh, Afghan women, uh, and they're taking place in parts of the country that are under Afghan government control. So the lives of Afghan women have, uh, maybe they've improved in Kabul, but in the rest of the country they have really not improved at all. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the people that want us to stay the most are... The Af- is the Afghan government because they know what they're losing. They know that how much money they're losing. They they know that they're losing their protection. And you've already seen this, uh, you know, in the first week 
of uh, the agreement being signed with President Ghani, um, who, you know, getting a whole other issue about how fraudulent the last presidential elections are, how the man who finished second, Abdullah Abdullah, who has now finished second in three consecutive, incredibly fraudulent and, and illegitimate elections, is going to set up a parallel government. Um, but President Ghani has no interest in seeing the United States leave because he loses his, you know, he loses his military support and he loses his financial support. And I mean, that's what you know. That's one of the dangers of having propped up a corrupt government for all these years. Um, and when I say corrupt, it is it is uh, you know the most corrupt government on the planet. Um, and, and this has been you know there are plenty of organizations that have attested to that. You know, so um, the idea that, yeah, that, that we need to be there for 14 more months, um, you know, it, that's just getting into all the rationale for why the United States has stayed there for the last 20 years. And the result is that you just continue to prop up a corrupt and predatory government, and you continue to allow the fighting to occur. You continue to give uh, a, a, a truth to the grievance of the Taliban and the Pashtun people, that they are an occupied and oppressed people. You know, I mean, so yeah, I, I'm completely in line with you, David, that this notion that we have to be there for 14 more months, while I understand the mechanics of agreements and deals, and I understand, you know, uh, why you know, the United States government would say we have to be there for 14 months, I also understand the extreme dangers, and also, too, the, the massive falsehood in the reality behind us staying for any any longer than another day. Um, and you're absolutely right with that. Uh, we're speaking with Matt Ho. Matt, uh, that New York Times piece on the the issues, that the, the positions taken by U.S. presidential candidates, pathetic as it was, uh, I think was, was better than the article I've seen just this week from the Associated Press, which has, you know, the, the Democratic candidates on five topics, uh, and item number five is foreign policy, and in contrast to the other four, there's nothing there. It's it's all rhetoric. It's yeah. all vague. Uh, this one is for diplomacy and peace, and that one is for strength and security, and that one is for being nice to our allies. And there's nothing there. So what's what is Matt Ho's uh, comparison of the candidates for U.S. president on foreign policy? Well, you know, I mean, the, the person who's been the, uh, getting back to that New York Times uh, piece, uh, uh, the person who's been the uh, most pronounced on foreign policy and who has really staked her whole campaign on it and which has really caused, uh, you know, heartburn and heartache among, you know, uh, the establishment in Washington, D.C., particularly the foreign policy establishment, has been Tulsi Gabbard. And she didn't even respond to the questionnaire, which I thought was a big mistake on her part because here's an opportunity to set yourself apart because, as you said, David, in the questionnaire, uh, whether from the Times or from the AP, whether it's in the debates themselves, whether it's on their website, there is, uh, you know, no specifics whatsoever. It is all this nebulous language about wanting to keep America safe, uh, wanting to uh, strengthen our diplomacy, recognizing the mistakes of the past, but it, it doesn't lay out any specifics. You know, certainly nobody is saying if they want to keep America safe, well, stop creating the enemies that we claim we have. You know, no one is pointing to the fact that these wars have been unnecessary 
and that the the the, the groups like uh, groups like Al Qaeda, Islamic State, all these various militant groups that we claim are our ally, are sorry, our enemies. But no, that's a, a Freudian slip because if you look at Syria and you look in Libya, uh, you look at other places, we are allied with Al Qaeda and in some cases the Islamic State. Right. Um, but you know, it's really, and that's another thing that has not been spoken about by these candidates. I mean, you could bring up all these issues, and none of them are about the the just how. Uh, not even getting into the morality of it. Not even getting into as you as you stated, as you as you as you have, have you have written about. Uh, uh, excuse me, as you have written about so clearly and, and, and so uh, 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 you know uh, uh, so often, uh, and as you just stated too, how wars are, are, are unnecessary. There's not been a necessary one, and I I certainly have learned a ton from you uh, in that regard. Uh, the uh, you know that. These wars, in particular, over the last twenty years, and of course they predate nine eleven. You know, uh, uh, but just for the sake of simplicity, we'll say the last twenty years. You know, they have we, we've created the the monsters that we claim we need to be fighting. That you know, study after study, uh, 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 you know, uh, journalist after journalist, uh, organization after organization, including the U.S. military, has found that. Uh, the reason why people in Africa, people in the Middle East, people in Central Asia, like Afghanistan and Pakistan, are fighting us, are fighting the United States, is because we're there. Is because our military is there. Our military is backing up corrupt, predatory governments uh, that are often composed of traditional rivals, because the United States' way of occupying and fighting in these wars is to divide and conquer. So we pit ethnicities against one another, we pit religions against one another, we pit tribes against one another, you know, and so we put certain people in power, and then there are traditional, uh, you know, and, and then help them subjugate uh, other ethnicities, other religions, other sects, and we see that over and over again. Um, and so the reason why people are fighting us is because we are there doing those things. Um, you know, they get back to Afghanistan and 9-11, uh, you know, in the days after 9-11, the strength of al-Qaeda worldwide, total, you know, according to the FBI, not according to Matt Hill, but according to the FBI, as well as, uh, you know, journalists like uh, Peter Bergen and, and others who were there at the time, um, was worldwide al-Qaeda was between 200 and 400 people. You know, so why, and, and, and now, of course, al-Qaeda has branches and affiliates all across the world, they are still, uh, you know, occupying Idlib province in, in Syria, uh, where, where, where that horror show is going on right now. Um, but they have controlled vast stretches of, of, of territory. They are active with, with literally tens of thousands of fighters now. Um, they have held ground, you know, in, in various different countries, uh, taken cities. Uh, uh, and none of the presidential candidates are looking at this and saying, wow. Al-Qaeda was only a couple hundred people strong 20 years ago, and now look how big they are. Surely our policy has failed. And, and so you don't even get specifics like that. You don't even get, uh, uh, rather, as we were saying, you get this nebulous language. You, you, you get very little uh, commitment to anything specific. You certainly get very little specifics on terms of, of you get nothing about uh, 
pulling out of foreign bases. You get nothing about uh, uh, cutting the defense budget. Uh, as you noted in one of your more recent um, uh, essays, David, Bernie Sanders finally came out with some numbers about cutting the defense budget. But again, that was very vague, uh, you know, scant, uh, you know, really nothing you could understand as being concrete and certainly nothing that would really make a, an impact in changing, um, you know, American society, let alone changing our priorities for having a militarized foreign policy. So, uh, you know, it, it's disappointing. And then the other thing is that, you know, Sanders by far is the best on foreign policy. And again, we'll put best in quotes. Although it is, it is good uh, to see uh, that, uh, with the exception of Michael Bloomberg, all the uh, uh, Democratic presidential candidates have decided not to attend the APAC conference, the American-Israel Public Affairs Council, the chief lobbying organization for Israel. Buttigieg and Klobuchar reversed on that. Oh, they did, actually. I did not know that. Yeah, one, oh, okay. one of, one of, at least one of whom is no longer a candidate. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Wow, I did not realize that. Uh, not a shock, though. That's not a shock. But at least, uh, you know, where in the past they all would have gone. You know, at least, right? Uh, right there, you know, I mean, so, he, but, it, but again, with Sanders being the best and best in quotes, he still says things in these questionnaires where if Iran or North Korea were to have a nuclear test, would you launch a preemptive strike? And he says yes. Yeah. You know, which is, well, which is oh my God. So I, I, the, the, we're still at the point where if they are somewhat good on certain issues, they feel like the candidates feel like they have to hedge on others so that they're not considered too weak overall, which is, uh, it shows we still have our work cut out for us. But hey, here's to those who've been working so hard on, on Palestine, Israel issues, who've gotten to the point where at least the majority of Democratic presidential candidates are not attending the APAC conference. Absolutely right. Uh, we got about five or six minutes left. Let me focus on the election, which is usually my last area of interest. I want to focus on activism and denounce <laughs> the election obsession. But I'll tell you why is because after decades of my friends and neighbors telling me to vote for the lesser evil and me saying, but they're still too evil, I actually think there is a lesser evil this time who is significantly less evil. I actually think Bernie Sanders, who, who I think domestically is absolutely fantastic fantastic and in Europe would count as an ordinary moderate and that's right and on foreign policy is you know in Europe would count as a right-wing militarist but is is just dramatically better than the other candidates he's running against or Trump or, or the past 45 people to hold that office uh, and, and I think that Biden and Bloomberg are horrendously awful want to escalate the worst policies of the past 20 years uh, and neither one of them has a you know a prayer of defeating Trump in an election anyway. Uh, and I think Bernie is not only better than them, but dramatically better than he was four years ago, and is somebody who has been moved by activists and can be moved by activists. And, you know, much as I like, you know, things that Tulsi Gabbard says, she's the only one, you know, saying anything rational on Russiagate. She's the only one bringing up foreign policy unprompted, uh, you know, apart from Mike Gravel and all the other ones we marginalize and forget. But, but, but she can't open 
her mouth without bragging about having, you know, belatedly taken part in one of these wars, you know, after even the New York Times had apologized for, you know, falling for the lies, you know, it's that she too, she, you know, is is the most schizophrenic message I've ever seen on anything. Uh, I, I think... I think among the candidates who have a chance, uh, it's in our very rational, lesser evil interest uh, to to promote Bernie Sanders. Am I am I wrong on that? No, I, I agree uh, because I too have have you know I, I've voted. Uh, uh, I'm in North Carolina, so it wasn't until the last election we had the Green Party. So in previous elections, I voted for Gary Johnson, Libertarian, because, you know, in 2012, Gary Johnson's platform was he was going to end the wars overseas, he was going to uh, end the war on drugs, and he was going to legalize gay marriage. And I was like, those are three things I believe in. Romney and, and Obama certainly aren't saying those things. So, yeah, I'll, I'll vote for the Libertarian. And then last time I voted Green, and, and, and I'm with you. And then, you know, uh, there is... Uh, uh, you know, and the argument, too, is is you look at as bad as, say, Hillary Clinton would have been. We may all be dead because she may have gotten us into a war with Russia over Syria, you know, and that may have, God knows, we're escalated. And, and certainly she would have in terms of, uh, uh, you know, the banks and big pharma and, and, and all those kinds of things, big agriculture. She would have been no different than, than Donald Trump. But you do see issues, certainly, say, the Environmental Protection Agency would not have would not be being eviscerated the way it's being eviscerated under Donald Trump, right? You know the the giveaway of public land. While there would have been some, and, and let's not forget that say Obama, he still brags about being the biggest oil producer of any president, domestic oil producer of any president. Um, you know, and, and Obama did nothing say at Standing Rock. You know, I can't imagine Clinton would have been. You know, and she was very big into promoting fracking, particularly overseas. You know, so where she wouldn't, but she wouldn't have been as bad, you know, and certainly well, with still, the, the still too evil, judges. still too evil doesn't mean identical. Still too evil. There are but, always, but, there are always differences. This, they're not identical stuff is, is, that, that's you know, right. that's right. <laughs> off but track. I, yeah, I agree with you though, with, with Sanders in the sense that, um, I think that one, he's the only one who's going to be able to defeat Trump. Uh, uh, in an election. And I say that because I feel like he's the only one who won't get bullied. Uh, he, that he's, he's this cranky old, uh, you know, cranky old man who'll give back as much as he gets. Uh, but also, too, I think he's the only one who has policies that are going to get people out to vote. That the 63 million people who voted for Trump last time, they're all turning out to vote. And so the question is, 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 is can, who, which president which Democrat is going to be able to actually get people to believe that there is going to be a reason to vote for the him or him or her, that there is actually going to be something valid that's going to come from that presidency. And I agree with you with his domestic policy. And I think if we can build, if you can give Sanders the political uh, capital, if you can give him the political support, the base to do better on foreign policy, I think that's where his heart is. I certainly know his foreign policy guy, Matt Dust. That's where his head is, uh, you know, and that's the advice that Dust gives to him, um, you know. And then the political people are the ones that tell Sanders, don't say so much, hedge, you know, don't go all the way with that, uh, because they're afraid that, you know, that by going so strongly on foreign policy, he'll lose some of his ability to do 
his domestic policy work, um, and that's his priority. But yeah, if we can give him, I think that the yeah. space that we may have a you know with a President Sanders, you could see the beginning of some form of a less militaristic foreign policy. I mean, I, the, I, hey, the, the right the, the war making budget for the United States is one point two trillion dollars. That's a lot of inertia, you know. Um, so uh, you know, even the. Uh, uh, you know, even the best candidate would only be able to do so much. But I agree with you where I think uh, uh, Sanders is the best we have seen in a long time. And um, I'm not sure who else. And, uh, and, would and be we yet. will have to make him better. I wish we could go on for another hour, but we, we are out of time. Matt Ho, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you, David. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, Please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.